Don't be afraid. Lock the doors. Turn out the lights. And climb into bed. It's time for Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. Dressing in period costume and going on outings has become, for a number of historians, a popular means of research in a particular time or a series of events. It is called professional living history. A perfect example of this would be Civil War reenactments. These are not the only reenactments that go on in the United States. The Indian Wars period is a popular and interesting segment of our nation's past, and there are many who organize meetings and encampments each year designed to reenact that frontier period. Men come in military dress of that era, women come attired as frontier immigrants and army wives. As you might suspect, as with the Civil War reenactments, there are no shortage of ghost sightings. In this episode, we will discuss one such haunting on the hill at Hat Creek. Journeys into frontier history can enlighten those who want the feel of the past. It enables them to have a sense of falling back in time, which accompanies living outdoors or in historic buildings and sites where nothing has changed but the hundred or more years on the calendar. Often, such experiences bring on the past in ways that are inexplicable. John Grant and Lester Barton are two close friends associated with a university history department. For these two men, a peculiar night in September 1984 at the Hat Creek Battlefield in Nebraska brought them closer to the past than they had ever before dreamed possible. Nightfall was complete on the fourth day of their encampment, and the sky had filled with dark clouds. Dry lightning was striking off in the distance where the rows of white canvas tents formed the temporary encampment of the 5th Cavalry. For John Grant, everything seemed to be just as it had been during the height of the Indian Wars on the Plains. The setting resembled a military campaign against the Cheyenne Native Americans. The troops settled down for the night while the rolling plains reached out endlessly in all directions. Grant was sitting on top of the hill, the monument to his back. He was guarding the camp as the midnight to 2 a.m. watch was his. He had his overcoat buttoned up tightly against the oncoming storm. The view was rather spectacular, Grant told his friends later. The moon would come and go behind the clouds. The entire horizon would light up. But there was no smell of rain in the air, just wind, black clouds, and lightning. The wind through the grass on the ridge became a backdrop to Grant's thoughts on the upcoming academic year and other private matters. He was just passing time, waiting for 2 a.m., when he would be able to go back down the hill and wake up his relief guard. It was then that he heard voices, the sound of men whispering to one another. It was jumbled and impossible to understand clearly, but it was definitely men's voices. 
Grant strained to hear, but the sounds quickly died out. He first dismissed the whispering as his imagination. But the voices started again, only this time louder than before. And now he could also hear footsteps, the swish swish of feet parting the prairie grass. It seemed as if the men were very close to him now. Grant smiled. He decided it was likely the first sergeant or the corporal of the guard sneaking up on him to make sure that he was awake and on duty. Grant got up and began to walk around the hill. Lightning flashed, revealing only empty prairie around him. There were no trees or brush anywhere, and Grant knew that no one could possibly get close to him to hear them without being visible. He began to get very nervous. He looked down on the tents below, white blotches in neat rows as lightning and intermittent moonlight splashed through the darkness. He now realized beyond any doubt that he was the only one on the hill, that everyone else was below sleeping. He went back to his position and sat down. He placed a round of ammunition into his Springfield rifle and strained to hear as he again heard the muffled, whispering voices. Then he felt a strong presence that sent tingles through him that made his hair stand on end. He turned around to look at the monument and sat paralyzed. A cloud of greenish mist was boiling just off of the ground. It swirled and moved slowly along the side of the monument. There was no real shape to the cloud, but it continued to move around the monument. Grant managed to get up. He started to walk, then he ran down the hill toward the encampment. There were 30 minutes left on his watch, but John Grant wanted nothing more to do with the hill. Lester Barton took his watch just after Grant came down from the hill. Grant said nothing to Barton about what he'd experienced. It was not until a couple of months later when the two men were sitting in a lounge near their university campus that they began to reflect upon the hill above Hat Creek. It was then that Grant asked Barton, Did anything funny happen to you up on that hill that night? Barton looked at Grant a moment before he answered. You mean you saw something too? And heard voices? Grant nodded. Why didn't you tell me, Barton asked. I just about lost my mind up there that night. I didn't want to talk about it, Grant said. I was afraid you would think I was crazy. I thought I was crazy myself at the time. The history of the hill above Hat Creek is one drenched in Cheyenne Native American blood. Shortly after the death of Custer and his men at Little Bighorn, news of the battle reached the reservation at Red Cloud Agency. Within a short time, a number of warring Cheyennes took their horses and started north for the Black Hills. The 5th U.S. Cavalry under General Wesley Merritt had been ordered to cut off the advancing Cheyenne forces and return them to the reservation. Merritt's chief of scout was William F. Cody, later to be known as Buffalo Bill Cody. He was dressed lavishly in a Mexican suit of black and scarlet velvet, trimmed with silver buttons and lace. He appeared to be presenting himself for the theater as one soldier who kept a diary of the campaign noted. In mid-July 1876, a month after the Battle of Little Bighorn, Merritt's forces met and defeated 
the contingent of Cheyenne at Hat Creek. Much of the fight took place on horseback, and though the Cheyenne were noted horsemen and fighters, they were outnumbered that day. The warriors were also poorly armed and weak for lack of nourishing food. During the fight, Cody fired his carbine at a Cheyenne named Yellowhand. The bullet passed through Yellowhand's leg and killed his pony. Cody then finished off the wounded warrior. Cody removed the Cheyenne's war bonnet and weapons, which he later used in some of his theatrical shows. After he escorted Merritt's command and the defeated warriors back to the reservation, Cody was looked upon with awe by the Cheyenne remaining at the agency. His medicine must have been powerful to kill the warrior, Yellowhand. The site of the battle was Warbonnet Creek, later renamed Hat Creek. History also tells us that Cody went on to become a legendary figure and that the Cheyenne, along with the other Plains tribes, lost many of their people in battle. What cannot be documented is what remains at Hat Creek so many years after the fighting. Nothing will ever prove that John Grant and Lester Barton had their strange experiences on the hill above the Hat Creek battleground. Those two men will never have to be convinced that there was something there, something that has yet to be explained by modern science. Grant and Barton have discussed similar experiences with other members of historical reenactment groups. Many of them have had paranormal encounters with those who possibly fought and died on the various battlefields throughout the West. It is a situation not often talked about outside of friendly circles. Credibility among historians is accumulated through time and hard work. Spreading unsubstantiated campfire tales can harm a solid position. But among those whose senses have picked up something that they can't entirely understand, credibility has taken on a deeper meaning. It is believed by some of these individuals that removing all ties to the contemporary, such as modern clothing, jewelry, and other accessories, and dressing entirely in period costume might possibly call something up from the past to which they are striving so hard to relate. If this is true, it could then be deduced that the dead from another dimension recognize the clothing or the possible psychic connection of the reenactors. For it's been demonstrated that reenacting the past can sensitize the mind into filling the past. The Hat Creek incident is only one of many that have been reported during reenactment exercises at various forts and battlefields around the West. The men and women who participate have come to know paranormal situations as almost commonplace. The creaks and the groans of old fort buildings or the wind sweeping the high plains hilltops are not sufficient explanation. Swamp gas is a rare commodity in these semi-arid reaches of cactus and sagebrush. There is much more to it than anything now scientifically known, say those who have had these experiences. 
Those who go to great lengths do succeed in getting into the period of time they wish to explore. The individual who dresses in buckskins, leaves his watch and rings behind, and rides a horse into the high rocky mountains, most certainly will learn what it is like to be a mountain man. Similarly, those who wear cavalry uniforms and march or ride into the open country, living off of beans, will undoubtedly feel what a 19th century soldier must have felt. That is what reenactment is all about. But it does appear that they may see or feel a little more than initially expected. For amongst the soldiers, there have been people that no one can recognize. Soldiers once dead who have come back to march again. Take on a vampire game 